fascinated how how you kind of approached it in terms of kind of mixing that analog and digital. I, I think I read you did, um, it's kind of 50% tape, 50% digital. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe describe the, the thought which took you there and, and, and is it very clean cut as in this was very much analog, this digital, or was it constantly a bit of a mix or how did that kind of happen and, and pan out, I guess? Sure. Um, it's pretty clean cut because um, I recorded it in two different studios. So um, Digital World, Peace of Mind, Living in a Fortress were all analog. Um, the, and then the rest were, were digital. So um, yeah, what I was trying to do, it was actually supposed to be 100% analog. And then I had um, a friend of mine who owns the studio in Austin that I did the digital stuff with, he said, Ariel, you know, it's, it's not just analogs the best way and you can't replicate a, an energy and a vibe from it. You have to understand it's not just what platform you're using. It's, it's also who's playing on it, how you record it, what you record it with. And um, I wanted him to prove me right. And, um, and he did. So, so what we did was we still had an outboard um, gear. We, we used all outboard gear with the digital stuff. We had a board, a big board, um, and also used um, vintage gear, amplifiers, guitars, and also microphones. And then we recorded like people, you know, when they were recording analog used to do. So without the crutches of digital. So one, all the way, one take, um, very little overdubbing, um, except for a few moments. I even hired another guitar player to do some overdubbing so I wouldn't have to go in later and do it. And uh, not using a click track and a few other things that people just did not do back then, we tried to replicate it. And of course, no tuning anything or altering any performances at all. Even, if, even though we could, we didn't. So we use the digital technology in an analog way so we could still capture that sound and, and it stayed very warm, I think. No, totally, I agree. And um, I was really interested, I was gonna ask you about the, the one take. And um, did you, did the whole band play together as one take or did you take it in turns and just do your piece as, as one take? Oh, the whole band all at one time, including, including my rhythm parts and some of the vocals. And you're still a man, almost all the vocals are completely live while I'm playing guitar. So they'll be in, they're in one room and then I'm in another room because of my vocals. So it doesn't pick up um, all their stuff. And all the amps, of course, are in a separate room. Um, so I can see them through a window, which is hilarious, especially when you're looking at a song like um, This Is Our Intervention. There's a lot of tempo changes, but we did that together just by looking at each other and then upping the tempo in real time. So I had, I had bass drums uh, and then piano or organ or whatever is being played and then a guitar. Um, so four of them in a room and me, all of us one take all the way through for all of the songs. Nice, I did think that because it's, it's hard to describe, but sometimes, I mean, when I was listening to this in particular, it kind of, I can't, I can't think of the right adjective, but for me, it's, it's groove and, you can't get groove if everyone is doing their bit in a kind of sterile environment and it's that playing together 
without the click track, as you say, you, you just, you can get those nuances, which, um, you know, you, you don't actively or consciously hear, but as I say, when I heard it, it was so refreshing. And I was like, yes, you know, I want to review this. I want to speak to the artist. This, this is exactly how I want, you know, music to feel. It's, it's, um, you know, there's so much nowadays and it's, and it's maybe perfect, but it's kind of, yeah, it's missing the groove. I can't think of any other words. I don't know if you've got an adjective to kind of sum that up. I think I, I, I feel like it's um, too over polished. Um, I don't know if that's a good adjective, but, but when things are super polished, you lose uh, a soul, the soul element of, um, of the music. And when I mean, when I say soul, I literally mean the, the soul of a, of a human, the humanness. Um, and when you, when you start altering performances and moving, oh, well, they're a little bit late, so I'll just fix that. They end up fixing a lot more than just one note, you know, or, oh, I'll tweak this. And then you have something that's that's a robot. Um, and, and even if we're not consciously aware of it, we can feel the difference between something that feels natural and real, which is why we like live recordings. And the difference between, you know, playing to a track, basically. Um, and, and a lot of times those go, those go hand in hand. It's, uh, it's a lot harder to do what we did. And um, I feel like we use, as musicians, we use um, the, di the digital technology as a crutch. And I, I hope that it doesn't continue to go down that road because it's, it eventually hits a wall where nothing is played that's real. And that's sad. So we're not robots. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think the word soul there that you mentioned, that, that, that rings true. And, and yeah, I mean, you, you can just hear there's a, there's that kind of organicness and the soul is, is, is really audible. Um, I guess it's, as you say, it's a bit harder maybe. So perhaps some bands struggle, but uh, um, you know, it, it pays off, I think. Do you think you'd do this again next time? Is this now the, the way? Oh, it's the way for sure. I've been working up to this point. Usually I would just have the rhythm tracks live. So the bass and drums, and then I would add my stuff over it, but you still feel, at least for me, when I listen back to, my, to that stuff, I feel a sense of separation. For me, this is the way to go. Yeah. And I guess it's, it's not that you've necessarily completely gone back to an analog world because you are still using digital elements. It's like, it's like a, rather than going backwards, it's like a new forwards, isn't it, I think, of, of getting the balance yeah. right between some of the techniques that we have uh, in the digital world, but capturing the, the, the soul of the music. Exactly. It's using it for its ease of, um, and, and the, um, affordability of it. Recording the tape, just buying the tape alone, two inch track is extremely expensive. You could spend thousands, thousands of thousands of dollars just on the tape because it's a bit outdated in a sense of people aren't really recreating these tapes as much as they were back then. The demand's low, so the price goes up. Plus to find somebody who splices everything individually, it's not affordable. There's no way. I mean, you can, I guess, maybe if you're you know, Jack White, but for, for the average Joe, maybe not. So instead of using the analog, because if you think about it, people who were recording back then who might not be live anymore, or who maybe are, they're using digital now. 
and maybe they'll use analog for some things, but if we have a, a, it's a blessing to have that where we, instead of just getting the tape ready at the tape machine here, it's a pain in the butt. Um, you know, we can record, but we can use the same techniques. So we don't, we don't just have a, you know, a, a digital sounding digital recording. You know, it, it, I think if used properly, it, depending if it's analog or digital, doesn't matter at that point. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Um, do you have a uh, favorite song off the off the album? Is that very hard to kind of narrow down? It's hard. Um, as far as production goes, I think I'm the most proud of Inside and Outside. I think um, that's the closest that I've gotten to the sound that I've wanted overall, um, just based on what I heard in my head. Um, they all have their own thing and, you know, it's been a while since I've completed it. So I always have my little things I wish I could have done better, but I think as overall, I think I like that one the best. Well, I've, I've just, uh, over the weekend, I wrote my written review of this and, and that was my favorite one. It's just got oh. know, the, the, the tonality, the tone of, of certain elements or the certain chord progressions. It just makes you want to go, yes. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh, thank you. It's interesting. I was, you know, kind of listening to some of the lyrics as well. You've got, you know, a lot, a lot of the sounds are quite, um, quite gentle, perhaps, and you know, very nice um, guitar sounds, obviously. But some of the lyrics are quite, um, you know, they're kind of passionate. Of you know, uh, still a man. You know, you're talking about kind of experiences within the music world. Um, I was wondering what. You know, do you, do your lyrics come from kind of own experience or kind of seeing other people? Or I know you're passionate about the um, ocean. I read somewhere as well. Have you brought that into many lyrics, or is that something you try and keep separate? Oh, absolutely. In the past, I've tended to maybe overgeneralize um, what I'm saying. So for this particular one, I try to be more direct. And usually I write from firsthand experience, but, um, but also what I see other people um, doing or maybe something I've done. So I guess it ends up being firsthand experience. I don't usually write stories um, um, like in, in an Iron Maiden fashion or, or you know, telling history with, with my music or anything like that. I usually don't do that. Um, but yeah, so a song like This Is Our Intervention was was literally me watching a, a dear friend of mine talk about how much he hated this job. And I was like, I was like, you just gotta, I'm not saying just ditch the job, but we have to find a way to to make you happier with what you have, you know? And 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 uh it's a fine line between like, yeah, quit your job and just, you know, we have responsibilities, but to find the balance internally of of, of living the life that we want, regardless of, um, you know, the fear that we have and, and try to find a way to do that. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's easier for me to write a song instead of say things because, because I don't want to give my opinion uh, and have someone listen to it directly. Sometimes I just want to have an opinion that you could listen to or not. And that's fine. The music is for me is a much safer area to do that. Um, but uh, it's not like I haven't done things I don't like either, so. 
No, I, th I think you speak speak for a lot of us. Um, you know, I guess the kind of millennial generation. I think that there is that struggle between kind of, you know, as you say, the the kind of requiring a job, but also trying to find some kind of happiness or or perhaps worth or or something. It is it is a tricky time at the moment. I think for for, for numerous people. Um, and yeah, as you say, that that song kind of reflects that. <laughs> Um, I was going to ask also, um, you are obviously a bit of a UK fan from what I gather, having kind of lived here a bit and played with the We Will Rock You um, and kind of the, you know, I'd rather be in England, <laughs> uh, which I thought was quite quite a humorous piece because at the moment we've, we've all said we'd rather be in New Zealand where you can gig. <laughs> so I just wondered if you wanted to talk right. about your relationship with the UK a bit. Yeah, it is quite funny now. I'd rather be in England. I definitely would not rather be in England right now, hence why I'm not. But um, this was written a year and a half ago and I did not see any of this coming. Um, but but um, I've always had a love of England and the, the culture and, and a lot of the music history. Of course, my favorite bands were from the UK. And um, I mean, I have some friends in, in um, Liverpool I've asked them, hey, why do you live in Liverpool? They're like, oh, because the Beatles are from here. I was like, wow. I mean, there's diehards like me. We just want to see what's in the water. You know, we instead of vacationing, I just I full blown have to immerse myself in the experience and see what it's all about. So ever since I was 18 years old, I've um, lived off and on in the UK, and I still do typically. Um, you know, without stuff happening, and. Um, it's given me such a such a big perspective on music and the way people see things. And even I, I had such a hard time. I went to a rehearsal space and I was like, hey, do you guys have any power cables? And they're like, I'm sorry, what? And like, you know, power cables, like you have an amp back there and I can't plug it into the wall. And for like, I don't know, a few minutes, he was trying to figure out what I was talking about. He's like, oh, a kettle lead. I was like, really a kettle lead? I'm like, all right, cool. So I, I like, everything crotchets and quavers and you know just every everything that's different i like being the the weirdo that's like you know trying to figure everything out uh it's it's nice to be to, to experience that and the music and and uh trying to understand the influences of um of where music came from by living there has really helped me so um i i love i love england i love the uk and um it makes me happy to be there always. Oh, excellent. So hopefully we'll we'll see you at some point once this is all died down again, then again. <laughs> For sure. I'll be back again. I have I have a place, my flat is there, just uh alone and empty for a while. So it's <laughs> tricky. Um and I also read you've um got a guitar which is is gonna be released, so to speak, with Brian. I wondered if you wanted to talk about that at all. Sure. Um, so I built a guitar named Two Tone about, uh, I guess, I think 13 years ago now, uh, maybe, yeah, something like that, with a friend named Patrick. And we just built it because I wanted to have a guitar. I was so inspired by Brian May, of course, building his own guitar with his dad. And um, through the years, it's become my main guitar. 
And a few years back, people kept asking me, hey, where do I get one? And it came to a shock, uh, as a shock to me, because I, I didn't think that other people would want it. It's just something that I liked, specs that I liked from five guitars that I had had that I kind of wanted shoved into one. So I decided another friend of mine and I, we were going to just build maybe one a month. So um, Brian and I have known each other a long time and we met up for lunch when I was touring the UK about three years ago. And I was telling him about how I was going to be making these guitars for fans. And he said, well, why doesn't Brian May guitars do it? And uh, I was like freaking out inside, but like trying to pretend I was, I was cool. I'm like, oh really? But inside I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. I mean, I called, I called like everyone on the way back, like you won't believe this. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we took apart everything <laughs> that he thought maybe was not the, the best thing about my guitar. And uh, we took elements of his guitar and put it into my guitar. So, so um, I, I guess people, you know, people are calling it a signature, but really it's a collaboration of something new, his guitar and my guitar together. Um, you know, both of which we're not used to playing, but, but add a new dimension to, um, to both guitars. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. I, I noticed the, uh, the headstock changed with the, uh, with his version they got because you're I think the two-tone has got the BC Rich is that correct from what I remember yeah uh -huh. <laughs> it's got the reverse headstock on it and uh, yeah. and they're like well you can't have that I'm like but why though and they're like well it needs to match with the brand and I was like but I mean I'm very honored to be able to uh, to use the Brian May headstock I mean that's pretty cool and um, another thing we changed was Brian's scale length is 24 inches. You could imagine this at a meeting. I mean, we've had very hilarious arguments about woods and, and things and, and uh, pots and capacitors. I mean, really geeky stuff sometimes. Um, and he, he said to me, hey, let's do a 24 inch scale length. I was like, why would we do that? He's like, well, my guitar sounds pretty good, don't you think? And I was like, all right, we'll do that then. <laughs> No problems. Uh, so, uh, so you know, lots of lots of compromising, but I'm glad I did because it's um, it's made the guitar unique and uh, it shows me a lot of you know what makes my guitars different than that one. By you know, if you change a, an inch and a half off the neck, how does that change? If you change the headstock, how does that change the tone and the playability? It's it's very interesting. Yeah. No, I, I can imagine it does a lot, actually. I, I, I build my own guitars um, as well. That's why I was interested to talk about this. So um, I did warn my, my editor that might go a bit geek <laughs> on the guitars. But even just things like uh, my Explorer, the neck, um, even if it's the same scale length on the neck, because it doesn't go as far into the body, it just feels a bit longer and things like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can imagine there's there's a lot of things. and. Um, I was going to ask you about the the two tone because I, um, I I think that's because you've got two tone controls and um, I mean my mm -hmm. my Explorer is a bit extreme but um, when I built it I at the time I was like I don't use tone why would I need tone and, and I've put three volume knobs on so <laughs> just because I was young and extreme. Oh wow, yeah. So was, the tone. Do you use the tone a lot? I do, but Brian doesn't. He doesn't have a tone. He has a tone knob, but it's not working. <laughs> so not everyone needs one, I guess. 
Um, but, uh, but I do use it. Um, and I use it on the Brian May guitar as well because um, those Burns trisonic pickups can be, uh, they don't, the Brian May guitar doesn't use Burns anymore, but, um, but uh, they can be pretty, uh, pretty bright if you don't uh, lay off the tone a bit, depending on what you're doing. Sometimes that's really nice. But um, yeah, I, you, I use those a lot. It, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. So I was just, I was just saying, like, um, okay. you know, would do you do you kind of adjust the tone even whilst you're playing live, perhaps for certain bits? I know some people do make really good use of tone. I've just, um, I'm obviously not good enough to to explore that direction, perhaps. Absolutely. Depending on the song, or if I hear something and I don't like it, I'll just a little bit. Not not a lot. Maybe maybe a a full number but, but yeah. not a ton. Because I noticed, I think, in one of, one of the videos, you, you kind of um, also mix up kind of using finger and pluck a bit, kind of Jeff Becky. So I think you really, you know, that relationship with your guitar, the fact that you built it yourself, I think there's a, there's a real partnership there. And if, if you're saying you're kind of adjusting the tone and kind of fingers pluck, I think, you know, that, that just adds a whole kind of new... I don't know if dimensions the world, but whole world and breadth to the to the tonal quality. And um, as I say, the the sound of the guitar just struck me again on on listening to the album. I think it's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're right. And I, as you know, since you build guitars, you know that um, there's a a very distinct difference between when you've bought a guitar and when you've built one. And I have tried to, to bridge the gap between guitars that I've bought that I really wanted to like that were great guitars, but I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't connect with it on a level that I'm used to, especially playing my guitar longer than I haven't played it at this point. Um, it's weird. When I pick up two-tone every time, I always think of how special it is and how lucky I am. Every time I pick it up, I'm like, oh, hi. But with other ones, I'm like, yeah, like it's, it's a, after this long and, and the history of it, um, it's very special. And, uh, and to know that guitar so well, since I only really use other guitars for like, I have a, a Rick 12 string, which has a pretty cool story. Um, and I have, uh, I used to have more, but uh, as far as different guitars, that's kind of the only one that I use other than live. I'll use variations of two-tone for different tunings. But um, I just know what the guitar does. I know what when it sounds good, how, and, um, and the dynamics that can be controlled with the fingers and um, the pick. I always say the guitar taught me how to play because I've had to learn what works for it. And when I don't play two-tone, I'm not... I don't think I'm, I sound like me anymore. Uh, if I didn't have that guitar, I'm not so sure I'd be interested in playing. Sounds bad, but it's kind of true. But in a way that's also, you say it sounds bad, but it also sounds positive as well. I think, you know, how many people have that kind of intense and fruitful relationship with their instrument? You know, I think that's quite unique. Thank you. What's the story behind the, the Rickenbacker? I did, I did think I could hear a 12 string kind of for a lot of the rhythmic work. It's, it's quite a classic, isn't it? The 12 string Rick. Absolutely. Well, I, I can't share a lot of it just because it, I was asked to keep it confidential, but um, okay. <laughs> uh, a very, a very uh, dear friend of mine's letting me borrow it. 
and um, and so I, it has a, a pretty cool history itself. Um, so every time I play it, I feel like I've got some magic on my hands. But uh, it's one of those guitars to me that um, you hear it and you instantly get taken back to uh, you know '60s with the Birds and uh, and Beach Boys and um, the Beatles. It's it's a uh, they're really neat guitars. They're very difficult to play. So I, I uh, detune it uh, full step and then put a capo on it or capo and um, try to have it feel better to play. Cause it's, it's like, <laughs> they're, they're kind of, you have to approach them not like their guitars, but uh, I played one on, this is our intervention and also on uh, Peace of Mind. Uh, do you think you'll uh, ever build another one maybe, or, or is, are you? Married for life to two tone. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of two tone was for a long time was me not liking two tone, and so what I kept doing was I've tried to recreate the guitar over and over again. Um, I don't know if you've seen the. I posted some pictures of them online. I posted four of them a couple of days ago, where I have the variations, and um, I've tried everything from changing the wood. I've made the body half an inch bigger all the way around. I've changed. Uh, the neck from um, neck through to set neck. I've, um, I've changed a lot of things about that guitar from the bridges to the nuts to the, the neck profile, um, trying to figure out what about the guitar um, makes it sound the way that it does. I haven't been able to fully replicate it yet um, because there are issues, it's, it's an amateur guitar and you can feel it and it's it is hard to bend for long periods of time because the tension is so hard on it which it really shouldn't be it's just I don't think it's just it just wasn't built in the best way and I've just learned to live with it so yes I'm constantly um making new ones the next project I have is working on a um humbucker version so I'm not sure if I'm going to do three mini humbuckers or if I'm just going to do two, maybe like PAFs. Uh, I think three mini humbuckers might be more of my style. But um, but yeah, so there's always um, things I want to do, different colors, of course. And um, I told you, I told you I wanted a double neck one as well. Um, all the variations of, of two-tone uh, that I can do is, is pretty good. But as you know, to do it properly, it's very expensive. So um, I try to pace myself. <laughs> No, it sounds awesome. It's a, it's a lovely hobby. And um, yeah, I think I think the string bending for reverse headstocks is uh, my explorer definitely feels it on the on the E string with that extra length at the, the headstock end. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it, it's not comfortable. The, the other the Brian May guitar is much easier to bend on for long periods. I have to be careful with with uh, where I put certain songs in my set because at the end of the end of the night, I can't like bend anymore. It's not, and I play nines. I, I actually moved to eights and then that, it didn't work out for me. So <laughs> I've tried to fix it, but there's no fixing it. Yeah, or, or the hybrid other, then, eights at the top and tens at the bottom or something. I don't know. <laughs> I tried that too. And it was just the eights on the high E sounded, sounded uh, like they were buzzing when they weren't. Mm. And I couldn't take it. <laughs> I guess it works for some people. Yeah, I don't know. I've never gone as light, light as eight, so I, I cannot uh, speak from experience. <laughs> yeah, it didn't sound good for me. Yeah. 
no it's lovely to talk about the guitar in so much detail and and, and to hear your passion about it um do you have any kind of similar relationship with amps or you know was the album recorded with favorite amps or a mixture or sure yeah i've got um i don't have a ton of amps but the amps that i have i i know well just because i've toured with them for years so um most of it was done with um let's see this guy the tweed on the there and uh and then i'm what i do live is i have um I have like an Eric Johnson setup where I'll have an amp for each sound. And what that allows me to do is, is uh, not have so many pedals. I'm, I'm a purist in the sense of, I think the guitar tone should come from the amps and the guitars. And uh, when you start putting other stuff in there, it can get a little bit weird. And uh, it looks like you're of the same thought, which is awesome. So, uh, so what I do is um, for the clean, I use that black two rock right there. It's got a lot of headroom, so I can really turn it up and um, get a nice clean without it breaking up. Um, so all the cleans with that, very tight. Um, and then the tweed is a blank and ship um, called a fat boy. And I really don't like the name, but um, that's what it's called. And it's a 15 inch uh, speaker. It's kind of like a, a Fender Tweedy Deluxe kind of thing, um, but it does this like, snarly low-endy thing that two-tone and that that amp were are meant to be I, I love that that amp um the builder who makes them Roy Blankenship he I was buying another amp like a AC30 style amp he made for me and he wanted to just show me that and I plugged in and I was like Roy I'm sorry but I think I need to buy that one <laughs> he's like no no it's not he he's like I can't believe it was like a magic moment and then um the other guy here is my um, RSA 31, my divided by 13, which I use for a lot of my dirty stuff. It breaks up pretty quick, so um, it does really well at that. And then I just have a switch and I switch between all of them um, live. And that's just how I record as well. They're never on at the same time. Yeah. So just a, a bunch of mics. I use, uh, I use old, um, SM57s, the Unidyne 3s, these guys are from, from the 70s and um, they have a much darker tone. They look like a regular 57, but um, if you AB them, these guys sound better. Uh, in my opinion, if you like the kind of darky, uh, overdriven sound, um, I think that's the way to go. And, um, and yeah, we just record, record those guys and um, I know what each one does really well. So that helps, especially that tweet amp. Um, so I, I don't usually add new things into the mix because there's a, an alchemy of, of everything together with especially the guitar and, and the amp. And when you throw the pedals in there, as you know, that can create a whole new dynamic as well. So it's important they all get along. Oh, definitely, it, you know, the. The attention to detail, I think, is wonderful. I, I must admit, I've never tried an old SM57, so that that is uh, something I'll have to look out for. <laughs> what do you think about pedals? Pedals, I've always, yeah, as soon as you squash a big sound through a nine-volt pedal, I, I just feel something gets lost. I think it's very difficult to positively build them in, um, but that's just me, maybe. I mean, I'm sure people have successfully managed pedals, but 
the the natural sound of amps i just think always always wins if you can do it then uh, i think i think that sounds wonderful you've got your you've got your your matches and you and as you say you know what's what and that that just makes it doesn't it absolutely if if you i mean for me with the pickups that i have which is partially why i want to do a humbucker they're they don't um on their own unless your amp is all the way up and you're killing and then you have ear problems because you can't hear because your amp is so freaking loud um a lot of times you need a little help and so what i do typically is right around five on the level of that amp, which is th this guy, it's like 60 watts. It's quite loud. Um, and the frequencies make it sound even louder than the, than the 100 watt. But um, what, what I do is I keep it at five, which is right when it starts to break up. So it breaks up as much as it can while being loud. And then I have a drive that just gets it a little bit farther. So, so um, I think if you use the amp, in that way, it's it's really great because the amp's doing the work and just a little push, um, um, you know, unless you're able to turn up that loud, which in recording um, moments I can sometimes. But uh, but yeah, the, the pedals are really important. I'm, I'm sitting here counting. I I have uh, five of them, and uh, but I don't use them. I use one for my um, overdrive, only one. It's the same one I've used for ten years. And then I use a delay um, and that's it for my lead channel. And then clean, I use three, um, a compressor, the echo rec kind of like uh, echo delay thing. And then I have, got, I've got a flanger chorus, but um, they, uh, and that's it. That's all I use. And, and the clean, I, I, I like, I like having that nice sparkly clean, but um, one of them's vintage that, that TC chorus is from the eighties. They're really great. Um, and that's that's all I use. I think clean you can get away with a bit more with some pedals. Um, Definitely, particularly kind of the, the the chorus flange or um, yeah, is it the Leslie? That's always one of the classics, isn't it? For that for that clean oh, yeah. sound. So I'm glad you're pierced though. I, I freak out when people. <laughs> I get the ideas of Kempers. I really do. And then they say, oh well, if you if you recorded with it, you'd never know the difference. But to me. I know the difference because I know those amps. I don't know how to fix a Kemper. I don't even know how to diagnose the problem. I don't, I, I mean, I, I used to have an Axe FX when they first came out in 2009, maybe 2010. And uh, it crapped out on me one time on stage and all my effects were gone and that was it. Literally after that one time, it was, it was over. I was like, I'm never doing this again. Cause I played the whole set with no pedals. And that was pretty brutal. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah, so um, I, I'm a purist and I know lugging around amps sucks and loading it in and out and you and the and the power is always different and oh it's bad power and it's making sounds and then oh the amp blew up and you know the issues, but like that's part of it, right? I mean you break a string sometimes and you fix it. I don't know, learn learn how to use your amp and, and what makes it run. And I think anything you do that with, including making guitars, um, you, you gain a lot more respect for what you have. And uh, yeah, I, I, purist in all ways, there's no way I'm ever getting rid of my amp. <laughs> oh, definitely, totally agree. I think, uh, 
I think even if people say they can't hear the difference, I think sometimes it's a subconscious thing. Um, and as I yeah. said, you can hear the warmth on the album. Uh, you know, it just, I kind of want to say the sound kind of, it didn't quite shock me, but it's kind of, as I say, it kind of was was more that nostalgia feeling of where, where's this been? Why isn't this sound more, more around still? And, um, you know, seeing a lot of live bands and a lot of their, a lot, you know, that I guess it's tough because they're trying to be efficient. Um, but, you know, the, the, the days of the second lorry have, have kind of gone and it's just a trailer and it's just, it's kind of all digital and it, I'm sure the sound engineers are loving it because it makes their job easier. But I think something's definitely lost if, if you kind of go down that road too far. I mean, yeah, tricky one. <laughs> Exactly. I think it works for some people, but I don't think it, it should be an option, not, not the uh, majority. Yeah. That's just me. No, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, and I think it's fantastic. And I hope, I hope the, the future can, can provide more of, more of that organic sound kind of thing. I think it's wonderful. So do you, do you have any plans? I mean, lots of people in lockdown have been writing new material. Do you think you're already working on something or is it far too early to say? No, not at all. This, this album has been done now for about a year and a half. So I'm really uh, uh, itching to write a new album. So I'm working on that slowly. Um, I don't have a ton of time at the moment, um, you know, with this one going on. Plus I, I don't want to not be present for this, but, but definitely I'm, I'm working on writing songs. And um, the other thing I've been doing is, is, uh, is growing trees. Um, to make up for all the trees that I've personally, not personally cut down, but have been cut down for my personal projects. And um, uh, yeah, so between trying to write some music and, and promoting this uh, and, and the guitar, the album and the guitar, I've been uh, planting trees, which, um, well, growing trees from seeds, which you wouldn't think is that hard because, oh, if you, you know, a little seed in there and sprouts up it, it's not that easy when it comes to trees and I couldn't for the life of me I bought these trees on seeds online and I have ebony mahogany Indian rosewood um what else do I have I've got uh, koa um ash I've got all sorts of trees and um I couldn't get any of them to sprout I put them I, I read the directions I put them in water I read books and uh I was like, oh, that's it. I'm gonna go down to the local guy who's definitely the guy who grows pot, but but like pretends he doesn't. You know what I mean? At the, the stores that they have with all the hydroponic systems. And I was like, how do I get these to sprout? And he helped me out. And, um, and so now I grow them hydroponically, uh, all in water with the light system and they, they sit on a raft. And, um, and then I grow them. And so I've just started planting them now at about five months, I put them in the ground and, um, and it's been, it's been a, a learning experience to, um, to grow these trees. I didn't even know what a mahogany tree looked like, which is sad because I know what the wood looks like. So um, I've also really learned how to be grateful for what I have based on what, how difficult it is to grow a tree and um, you know, how, how long some of these trees take to mature, like ebony. I don't think I'll be using ebony anymore after this because 60 to 80 years for one tree to mature. I mean, that's, that's nuts. So hopefully 
alongside of the guitar designing bit and all that music, um, I can start to replenish the, um, the, these tonewood trees that we're cutting down and maybe work with other companies on um, being more aware of this stuff. I think the acoustic companies are doing really well at that, but still think there's a lot of improvement that we all can make, and myself included. So that's the other thing I'm doing, being a little hippie. No, that sounds wonderful. I, I I really love that. That it's it's that it's it's the completeness of it all. Um, and I agree. Like um, you know, mahogany now. I think it's all it's all fast grown mahogany as well. So um, you know that affects the quality. So if if you're creating your own, maybe one day you'll uh, uh, turn it into a guitar yourself <laughs> once it's matured enough. Oh man, I don't know if I'd have the heart. Maybe if it fell. That's true. You can't cut them out when you see them as a little baby. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Once it's once it's come to its natural. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's growing from, growing from seed is is very difficult for trees. I think I think saplings are okay, but from seed is um because you have to don't you have to get it to germinate? So it has to have that kind of cold snap feel, and then it kind of comes in. So. Uh, I'm very yes. impressed that you've managed to uh, manage to grow those. And uh, yeah, ebony, I mean, having sawn through numerous ebony fingerboards, I can imagine how long it takes given how dense it ends up. Yes, yeah. And, and each one is completely different. Um, and uh, I'm looking to buy a, a lot once everything settles down in, in, um, in England and do the same thing with the colder trees, the spruces and alders and, you know, a lot of what you have. Um, out there that um, that I can't grow here but each one how to germinate them is totally different some have to be in the fridge for two months to replicate you know the cold fronts that you're talking about some of them you make a little nick on them and you put them in water overnight and some of them you literally just have to wait for months to a year to just germinate whenever they feel like and it's like well that's really sustainable but that's how it is in nature it's crazy so yeah. that's why we need to be really conscious of it um, so uh, I know it's probably impossible to say, but once once kind of this pandemic quietens down, have you have you already kind of got plans for for touring the U.S. or Europe or both, or is that on the cards for the new album? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, the, the market's going to be pretty oversaturated, as you know, because everyone's going to be going out. But I'm thinking probably spring of 2022, I'll be um, be touring. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be the UK or the US first, but uh, I'll definitely be doing both and uh, touring the album and and maybe some more new music too. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a, an interesting one to see once everyone everyone kind of gets back to it. I think there'll be a, a lot of appetite for it though as well. And um, anyone listening to this album, because I, I mean that's the other thing, because you do it in one take, because you do it live together. I know that what I hear on the album is going to be kind of what you what you hear on stage again with others it's so digital and then live it's a bit of a it can be a bit of a letdown but I think um, you know for anyone who's managed to listen through all the tech talk that we've gone through and is still wondering I, I do really think that um, you know seeing you live will be will be just as phenomenal as, as listening to the album so I'm, I'm really looking forward to maybe that opportunity in 2022. Well, thank you. It's a good point. 
we thought about that when you know when when I was recording this like don't put too many overdubs in the vocals because you know how many background singers are you going to need so I think you're I think you're right if I can uh you know work my way up there hopefully it won't sound much different that's important it's a letdown when you go to these shows and you're just like that didn't sound like the record at all uh so <laughs> yep that is uh I, I know that one too well unfortunately <laughs> awesome well i don't know if you've got any other interviews to be getting to but it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you for this hour both in terms of the music and and all the tech side and the geek side as well it's been uh, really exciting to listen to all of that oh thank you same here i i really enjoyed it i don't usually get to get to geek out um <laughs> on that with someone who understands all that. So thank you.